Well, welcome to Hillside Community Church. Everybody online and everybody here, we're glad that you're with us today. I'm going to start us off with just a couple of announcements. All of these announcements you can find in the Bible app. Um, we're, we're using that right now to kind of put all of our brochures. We might go back to a paper brochure uh, or bulletin here in the next couple of months. But if you want to, you can go to the Bible app. If you need help with that, raise your hand. I'll come show you how to do it. But that has all the notes in it. It also has all the announcements, and you can look at it throughout the week. If you're like me, sometimes it's hard to take notes in service because I really want to pay attention. But it's a great resource to be able to go back and grab stuff. Um, so also our offering, we're doing that mostly online as well. But if you're here and you want to participate in offering and giving and tithes, we just have a basket in the back. You can drop those in there at your convenience whenever throughout the course of the morning. But I wanted to highlight a couple things. We had kid camp this week. Um, and I know that a number of our volunteers were part of that. We also had a lot of kids who were part of that. So thank you, everybody. It was a huge success. We saw two sessions of kids come through. For us as a community, we've decided to collaborate with multiple churches and not do these segments of kids camps. But let's come together as a community, and that went amazing. And then I know yesterday we did the kids' clothes swap, and in that, thanks Gus. Usually I'm closing the door. It's probably, I think that's my wife, probably. Yeah. Um, can you edit that out of the video? <laughs> um, okay, no, you don't want to watch my announcements this week, honey. Um, so the clothes swap was yesterday, and that's also something we do as a community to make sure we bring gently used things to share with our community, to make sure that families and kids have clothes and have the resources. We did that out back. It was a great opportunity, and that went well as well. Um, but after church, if you're around, I need some help bringing tables inside and putting them in the right places. So come find me afterwards if you're willing to move some stuff around. And then for the Bowens, I don't know if you're up or not, but we wanted to celebrate Marcus and Mallory's wedding that occurred last night. Gus was able to marry them. That's why they're not here is because they were probably up cleaning till midnight last night. But congratulations, Marcus, Mallory, and the Bowen family. So some announcements. Jennifer, can you just stand up real quick? I won't make you say anything, but Jennifer is overseeing our Salvation Army outreach. Um, every year we've been part of a group that reaches out to the community to provide resources for students going back to school. And part of that is every kid that is participating in this, they get a backpack already that's filled with school supplies. And then we're looking for people to donate money, but also go shopping for clothes and shoes. So these kiddos, they'll have $100 at Target to go walk through Target and get the clothes that they need to be able to go back to school with the necessary stuff. So if you're interested in all in that, make sure you get Jennifer Wilson's contact information. That information is also in the emails that we send out every week on our website and on Facebook. Another thing we're doing, I don't know, it's hard to be a mountain church sometimes because sometimes you're okay with weeds and stuff, but we still want to make sure that our church looks good. If you look around the parking lot and down area and side area, we've placed little blue flags. We've done this a couple times throughout our course of the last 20 years, just trying to be creative and how to take care of our property without one or two people having to do it. So if you're interested, grab a flag. That flag will denote the area of the parking lot that's your family's. I, I wanted to put names on them so that we could have a competition, but I got poo-pooed on that one. Um, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to be like, man, the Shives 
aren't good gardeners, but the bats, Milton Sue's plot looks amazing, you know, so I just wanted to make sure that there was a little competition, but we're just grabbing flags, and if you would come by once or twice a month and just kind of take care of your blue flag area, that would be wonderful. Also, youth group will be occurring this week. We'll be, everybody will be participating. We'll be here at church from 6.30 to 8. Um, our youth leaders are leaving on vacation this week, so have fun on that, but we'll Gus and I are going to kind of tote the line and be part of overseeing youth group over the next two weeks. So make sure you come and be part of that. Prayer still is part of what we do here on a regular basis. We have a prayer team that's available to pray for you regularly, but also want to continue to remind you that the third Wednesday of every month, it's the third Wednesday, right? We have our prayer gathering, and now we're meeting back in person. We're coming here to the church. I want you guys to be intentional about trying to be part of that. And then lastly, life groups, they are still going but August is going to be a real push to get us back involved in life groups. And August will be also the push to get children's ministry back into session and meeting in person. So those are two big things that people are asking a lot about. So today, you'll see kiddos all throughout the place. Um, please just accept their presence because it's important for them to be here. But shortly, we will be going back into classes for kids in August. Well, they'll have a little bit more generationally appropriate teaching. But while they're here with us, let's enjoy them and make sure that we include them in what's going on here. And don't glare at parents that our kids might be running around, right? Like, right? You. Because um, you might be glaring at me and my kiddo running around. So let's pray. Go into a time of worship. So let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we continue to have the opportunity to worship you, to come here and just stop our lives in a way that acknowledges that you are our God. Father, today as we look into your supremacy in the midst of life and struggles, but also joys and happiness, we thank you that you are our God, that you are immutable, that you're never changing. Regardless of what's going on in our worlds, whether it be sicknesses or successes, we know that you are our God. So Father, today we pray that today would be honoring to you that we would move into a place that we just acknowledge you as our King, as our Lord, as the one that directs us in all things. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's stand for this one. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in a desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
can be seated. Morning. I think it was really pretty awesome today with Mike and Amy leading together. You're just saying it was the first time they've led and sang together in church, which is pretty awesome. Some of you don't know the history. Kind of brought me back a little bit when I saw Rick. I don't know where Rick is. We were in Morocco a number of times, and uh, the Weeder Walls were there. Um, Amy's husband had passed away some years ago, and he used to lead worship with Amy at times. It was always so awesome. And then when Micah comes up, he just reminds me so much of Mark. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, isn't that cool? It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, and before I forget, my, some of my favorite people are on the way back there. This is the last Sunday we're going to have them. My daughter Heidi and Ben and Bear Boone, Bo, and Brew are all with us. And it just doesn't get any better than that, let me just tell you. So we're going to talk today about the sovereignty of God, uh, continue our apologetics series, and try to answer this question, if God is sovereign, why are there so many struggles in life? And I guess if I were to ask you if you believed in the sovereignty of God, it would be pretty easy to say yes. We believe that God is in control of all things, but I just wonder if we really understand the sovereignty of God. About 15 years ago, I've shared this story before, but I remember Michelle and I would feel like the Lord had put on our heart a single mom and uh, wanted to help her out, get her some money. It was around Christmas time. And uh, I remember getting up early in the morning and praying. I just said, God, if this is your will, you know, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? And I remember, I remember putting on my heart $500, just thinking, we're supposed to get $500, and it was a tough time financially. And uh, I prayed to the Lord and said, if you give us $500, we'll give the $500. And that day I was gone all day, and I got back around 11 o'clock that night, and I just had this anxious feeling. I got on my email. I remember it was Pastor Kevin had sent an email out. I remember clearly saying we were going to get paid in full, and what we had a $500 bonus. And I remember thinking, well, it's easy to say God's sovereign at that time, isn't it? But what when things don't work out? What, what, what happens... When you've lost a job unfairly, or, or someone has slandered you, and it seems like God is very silent during those times, or maybe uh, a good friend suddenly wants nothing to do with you. You know, all the different situations that hit us in life, and, and we wondered to ourselves, well, why doesn't God step in? Why, isn't, why didn't he do something about it before it happened? See, it's th those times we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. Remember we talked about Hannah a few years ago, being this woman who really trusted the Lord. Remember she goes and she prays during the festival and says, God, if you give me a baby, I'll give, you, I'll give him back to you. And that's where we get the great prophet Samuel. God answered her prayers. But do you know the context of that passage? In Samuel, 1 
1 Samuel 1, two times it tells us that the Lord had closed her womb. He didn't allow her to have babies. And that was very significant because her husband had a second wife who had many children who mocked and provoked her just bitterly for years before this ever happened. You're thinking, why didn't the Lord do something earlier? Why didn't he step in? Isn't that the questions we ask when things don't work the way we think they should? I think the problem is we don't have a good understanding of the sovereignty of God. So today I just want to hopefully help us all understand better through a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. So let me ask you to bow your heads and let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we do come to you uh, as needy people because often we want to put you in a box or put you somewhere you don't belong at all because we want our lives to work in a certain way and you always are doing things for a greater purpose. So help us to understand that. We'd ask that you wouldn't just speak into our hearts about who you are, but your Holy Spirit would have freedom to, to lead us and convict us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, that we truly would be more devoted to Jesus. That is our hope. So just, uh, we just ask that just in some way today that even one person might live differently because of what they hear from you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. We are going to be in Daniel chapter 4, but let me give you Webster's Dictionary that defines sovereign. As he defines it as a supreme ruler. And in regards to God as the independent supreme ruler over all things. I would probably add he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. But before we get started here, let me ask you all to stand up. I haven't done this in a while, but we want to read our passage together. I always think it's something really powerful and honoring when we, we stand and read God's word. And then I say the first word, and then you read the rest of it. But... Amen. Have a seat. Boy, powerful section of scripture. Let me give you just a, a little context so you understand it better. First of all, the theme kind of throughout the book of Daniel, but specifically in, in this section, is the sovereignty of God is eternal. 
and cannot be defeated and is guided by love according to his purposes for his glory. Let me give you a little background so you, you grasp this also. There, there's this king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon. And about the year 605, he conquered Jerusalem. And he took him captive for almost 70 years. At this point in time, he was a sovereign ruler over most of the world. And if you have your Bible, just turn really quickly to the first chapter, first verse, chapter 1, and verse 2a. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And it says this, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that God gave Israel into this pagan king's hands. But just got to keep that in your mind when we think about the sovereignty of God. So this king, he has two dreams. In, in the first dream, it's so disturbing, he can't sleep, and he wants an interpretation. Now the king sees this great statue, and things happen in this statue, and he has no idea, but it's, he, he, he wants an interpretation. So he goes out and he gets all the sorcerers and wise men and magicians and he says listen not, not only do I want the interpretation but I want you to tell me the dream and they come to the king and they say king that's not how it works they said you give us the dream we give you the interpretation he says here's how it's going to be if you cannot give me the dream and its interpretation I'm going to execute you all well Daniel Daniel is one of the wise men at this point and Daniel goes and prays to the Lord and God gives him the dream and the interpretation. You know what I think is really cool? Then he goes back to the king. And you know the first thing he says to the king? He says, you know what? I didn't do this. I can't do this on my own. The Lord did this. Gave me the dream and the interpretation. He immediately honors the Lord in this process. And what he tells this king is basically, your kingdom is going to be one of the greatest kingdoms in the history of the world. Now, you can imagine, if you heard that, that you were going to be a king one of the greatest kingdoms of all time, there'd be a little bit of pride that would come in there. Like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm pretty awesome. Then he has the second dream. In the, in the second dream, it's an angel's kind of cutting down, chopping down a large part of this tree. And again, the king asks for an interpretation. Daniel fearfully gives the interpretation. Again, the same way, saying the Lord gave me the understanding, gives honor to the Lord. And he tells the king this. He said, unless you humble yourself, unless you recognize that everything good in your life, everything has been from our sovereign God, he's going to humble you. And for seven years, you will be like an animal on your hands and feet. So that's kind of where we pick up the immediate context. So if you have it, your Bibles, you want to follow along, look at chapter 4, verses 38 and following. I mean, 28 and following. So this is about a year later. This is all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king, 12 months later, he was walking on his roof in the royal palace of Babylon. And the king reflected and said, Is it not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power? And for the glory of my majesty, you get a little bit of the, <laughs> this guy didn't get it. 
while the word was still in the king's mouth. I always think that's always interesting how the Lord does things. It's not even in, it's in his mouth yet. He hasn't got it out because the Lord's looking at the heart. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been declared. Sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle for seven periods of time will pass over until you realize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on whomever he wishes. And immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with dew into heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So we have in our passage here is after the seven years. After the seven years of being completely humbled, this is the words the Lord gives him about his sovereignty. And the text really teaches us three things about the characteristics of God's sovereignty. I think it's interesting to note too that often we learn much more about the sovereignty of God during the difficult times of our lives. We really understand just how he moves the world. Sometimes you have to have some 20-20 hindsight because sometimes you think you really want something or it's really what you needed and you're, you're angry with God and then later you look back and you go, oh my gosh, he had so much more to give me. And I think that's kind of what Nebuchadnezzar was learning here. But the first principle, first characteristic of God's sovereignty is his rule is eternal. Verse 34 so at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He says this, him who lives forever, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, his rulership is not only eternal, its duration is continuous in authority. It says his kingdom is from generation to generation. And it's important to note here, God's purposes are always consistent with his eternal rule. The end is already determined. This is not, well, we hope it all works out. It's already determined. It was determined then as it is determined now. So you say, how will evil be dealt with? It'll be dealt with eternally. But what about all the hurt and the abuse and the hunger and all, all the things? God has eternal dominion and his rule will deal with all of those things when it's time. It's interesting in this text that heaven is mentioned three times. It says in verse 34, I raised my eyes toward heaven. Verse 35b, he who does according to his will in the host of heaven. And verse 37a says this, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. See, to understand God's sovereignty, the believer's perspective must not be focused on this life. It has to be focused on the next. It really does. It's got to be a perspective that really gets the fact that there's much more, but it's not now. And it's really difficult in our Western culture because we just want everything now. Everything's instant. And so this process of suffering at times that God wants to accomplish in our lives, for his purposes, we don't want them. 
do we? We just want to get fixed. The Apostle Paul really understood the sovereignty of God. Now just imagine this. He, he, all he's doing is going around evangelizing, speaking, teaching, profoundness. And all he does is suffer. That's all he did is suffer. In and out of prisons. In fact, his death, his execution was imminent. And do you realize that even in the immediacy, knowing he was going to die, he's going to be executed. It tells us in the book of 2 Timothy, it's a letter, short letter at the end of his life. He puts the term Lord 15 times in the book. 15 times. You know what the Greek meaning of the Lord in that is? It means the sovereign one who possesses absolute authority. Now think about that. You're like, well, wait a second, how does that work? I mean, shouldn't we keep Paul around for a little longer? <laughs> and all he's doing is good. But the Apostle Paul understood. Because his focus wasn't on this life, it was on the next. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 8, it says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time of departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, not on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love this appearing. You know, his thought is, there's rewards for this life. It's worth it. Even the suffering's worth it. See, he knew the Lord was not only with him at that point, he'd always been with him, and that he would bring him into his kingdom. But God didn't, he didn't lose the Lord's presence. I think he was close to the Lord's presence. In fact, at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, it says, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. I've always thought that was such an interesting thing. The Apostle Paul was deserted by everyone when he really needed him. This faithful person. Can you imagine just being alone and all that? But he wasn't. He knew he wasn't alone. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen see God's sovereign rule is eternal which really leads to a second characteristic of God's sovereignty is God's sovereign rule will not be defeated Verse 35 says, And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What hast thou done? It's interesting, this verse does not speak of devaluing people. It's just comparing them and just basically saying, Your power is insignificant compared to God's. In fact, it tells us in this text here, The host of heaven... The angelic army waits for his command. They wait to do whatever he wants. And it only takes one angel to do great destruction. Can you imagine millions of them waiting anxiously? There's a, a powerful passage of scripture. It's always been one of my favorite sections of scripture in Isaiah chapter 36, which is a great example of that. Let me give you a little context. There's the king of Assyria. He's kind of the Hitler of his day. And this vicious man is going from country to country and just destroying everything in sight. And he sends one of his key people to the border. 
And basically, he does it to, to mock Israel, King Hezekiah. He's basically calling them out. And then he makes one big mistake. He mocks the God of Israel. You pick it up in chapter 36, verse 18, it says, Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying the Lord will save us. Has any of the other gods of the nation saved this land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Harpad? Where, where are the gods of Zarephim? And when have they saved Samaria from my hand? Who among all these gods of these lands have saved their land from my hand that the Lord would save Jerusalem from my hand? I thought, oh my gosh, was that the mistake right there, wasn't it? You can imagine, Hezekiah is pretty terrified at this point. And he, he goes out and he seeks the prophet Isaiah. And they just humble themselves before the Lord. They, you know, and he just cries out, and God hears his prayer. And, and, and the Lord responds, chapter 37, verses 33 through 38. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not even come into the city nor shoot an arrow there. And he will not come before it with a shield nor heap an assault ramp against it. By the way that he came is by the way he will return. And he will not even come into the city to kill the killers of the Lord, for I will protect the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant's David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the rest got up early in the morning, behold, all of the 185,000 were dead. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. And it came about as he was worshiping the house of Nishrach, his god, that his sons Anarlech and Chorez killed him with the sword, and they escaped the land, Ararat, and his son Ereshendon became king in his place. One angel. See, you know, our God is sovereign over all things. He, he does as he pleases. That, that's kind of a misunderstanding we have often in our understanding you might ask yourself, well, how does the Lord Jesus, and we, we spoke last week of the importance that we know he's God. If he's not God, he can't fulfill the promises that he makes to us. He has to be God, all of God. But you, you ask yourself, well, how did the Lord allow so much evil in the world? Why, why is there so much struggle? Well, let me first say this, that he did not create evil. Pastor Sean's going to speak more about that. It's our sin. Our choices has brought about all this stuff. It's people wanting their own ways and doing their own thing. This is not about God. It's so easy to blame God when things don't go right. Well, God should have done something. He should have stepped in. That's a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God. He steps in. When it's his time, God will step in. But you know what? We are so blessed to know that we have a God that is governed by love. Because if he did what we think he should do, when we think he should do, oh my gosh. I can tell you one thing. I wouldn't be here. Second Peter chapter 3 really gives us an explanation of how God does things. It says, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the Father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Isn't that interesting? A lot of people think that way. Nothing's changing. 
Everything just continues to happen. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly people. But do not let this one fact escape you, notice, beloved. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be discovered. His desire is for his people to repent, to be saved. But his rulership will not be defeated. And, and there is a day when there will be judgment. Fortunately, his eternal rulership is governed by love. And really, according to his purposes and for his glory. You know, it might seem cruel when we think of humbling this, this king for seven years on his hands and feet. I think it's an act of love. I think it's very much an act of love. And you say, well, why would I say this? Well, if you read into the context, in chapter 2, uh, after Daniel interprets the first dream, listen to King Nebuchadnezzar's response. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid humble respect to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering of incense. And the king responded to Daniel and said, Your God, third person, truly is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of secrets since you have been able to reveal the secret. He speaks about Daniel's God. Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in for their faith and were thrown in the fiery furnace. Remember that? And miraculously, the Lord shows up and saves them. Listen to his response to that. Chapter 3, verse 20 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And again, third person who put their trust in and violating the king's command and surrendered their bodies rather than serve or worship any other god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or population of any language that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses made a rubbish heap because there is no other god who is able to save this way. So he speaks the third person, but now after the seven years of humbling, the seven years of, of, of just understanding and learning that God is sovereign, he speaks in the first person. Verse 34 says, I blessed and praised him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar gives glory to God. Verse 37, I praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven. Again, the sovereign one. Nebuchadnezzar submits to God's purposes and will. I believe he became a believer in the sovereign God at this point. I think he, he trusted God with his life. Why? Because God is so patient and kind. Because he loves that much. And his purposes are for his glory. See, I think we make a big mistake. I think we want God's sovereignty 
is for happiness, for our happiness. Or to fulfill our expectations of him, what he should be doing. You know, situations come up, we're like, God, act, do what you got to do. But the truth reveals God does as he pleases for his glory. The people of Israel were questioning him, again, in the book of Isaiah. Like, you really don't know what's going on, God. Because if you did, you do something. That's what they're saying in this passage. And the Lord's response to them is really interesting. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, To whom then will you compare me? That I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Raise your eyes on heaven and see who's created these stars. The one who brings out their multitude by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, Jacob, or you assert Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? He's like, where, where do you think that I don't know what's going on? I'm not dealing with things the way they should be dealt with. And the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't become weary or tired. And his understanding is unsearchable. He's basically saying his has a perfect wisdom. He makes no mistakes. Again, the apostle Paul adds these thoughts. Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? Who, who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, God's sovereign rule is eternal. It can't be defeated. And it's guided by love according to his purposes for his glory. You say, so what can we do? How do we apply this to our lives? Can I just say this? It's, it's one thing to understand what it means, sovereignty. It's another thing to really subject our lives to it and believe it. Pray that way. Think that way. Let me just suggest a few thoughts of application. First of all, we, we must develop more of an eternal perspective. Well, I just feel very convicted that we just got to have a more heavenly understanding of, of our lives. I mean, if, if this, this thing is just, we're like a dot compared to eternity, why aren't we thinking more about eternity? We spend so much time on the dot. <laughs> you know, this little time. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take that seriously. We should. But I'm just saying, isn't it for that dot to make a difference for later? Isn't that what we should be thinking, living See, you, know, you look at Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. I mean, all these people that lived differently, many, many who never really had much of a life. In fact, if you go into this chapter a little bit, it, people were sawed in half for their faith. They believed so much, they were sawed in half. God said, I'm not ashamed to be their God. Because <laughs> they lived for what mattered. But let me just read some of Hebrews chapter 11. I, I just think it's such a powerful passage of Scripture. It says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For you comes the God must believe that he exists 
and he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. I think it's pretty powerful right there. He's basically, we've got to believe he is who he says he is. You can't just say he's sovereign and then not believe it. And then if we believe it, we've got to really believe that if we act upon it, that we'll be rewarded for it. That it matters how we live our lives. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out of a place where he was to receive an inheritance, and he left not knowing where he's going. Can you imagine that? He's at this point in his life. He's probably going to be taking care of for the rest of his life financially. He doesn't just leave that. He goes to a place he doesn't even know where he's going because God told him to go. By faith, he was, lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which his foundations was architect and builder is God. And go down to verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, and if indeed they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had, had opportunity to return. But as it is, their desire was for a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. How do we do that? I, 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 I gotta say, I think sometimes we get so familiar with the scriptures we forget how profound they are. I just ask God to just give you just a new perspective, new eyes as you look at the Gospels. Just, just think about, you know, what is being said? What, what can you learn today that they were learning then? It's profound. Old Testament saints like Moses or David or Abraham, you know, I, over these last years I've been reading books on them and studying back over those passages. It's profound their faith is. How did they deal with the struggles? What were their decisions? Man, they made some profound decisions that impacted the history of the world. How did they trust in God's sovereignty during those difficult times? See, we must all be developing eternal perspectives. We, we really got to be intentional about that. Second thought, we must believe and trust that God has sovereign acts of grace for each of us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen, and this is the key part of that. Which he, God, has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has these plans for each of our lives profoundly, sovereignly put together every day. He's, he's got connections we're going to make. And so we can, we can make a difference for the kingdom. Are we praying that way? Are we thinking that way? I mean, if it's prepared, then as we walk by faith, as we walk with him, as we believe, these opportunities will be there. He's promised that. Just as he holds all the stars together, <laughs> he holds our lives the same way. He knows each of us intimately. He knows how we connect with people, who we'll connect with, what we're going to do or not do. So are we trusting in those ways to encourage other people, to give, to help? Man, i got to tell you, I think this Christian life is supposed to be lived excitingly, but I think we often go through the motions. 
we forget that we are putting our faith in the living God. He has sovereign acts and works for us to live in. Finally, the sovereign God, the Lord, his sovereignty is guided by love for his purposes and his glory. You know, I think one of the most familiar passages of Scripture, at least I've heard it quoted many times over the years, is Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know what's often missed in that verse? Is for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a really key phrase, which is missed. It's not, well, you just do whatever you want to do, and then God just works it all out. You make all your bad choices. No, let me just say this. You make choices to sin, there are consequences to sin. There are consequences that will come with your life. So, when we are according to his purposes, it'd be this, we love him, we want to obey him. Even when it feels very uncomfortable. Because it's God saying it. And we trust him to be sovereign in the midst of that. Some years ago, we were preparing for a birthday party, a significant birthday party that I had. And when you get my age, you just have a lot of those. And we were writing the list of people who we would invite to this party. And it was so clear to me, the Lord put on my heart, he said, I want you to invite these different people. And there were people over the years that hurt me really deeply. There are quite a few people. And you just write them down on the list. And it was really uncomfortable. Like, you know, do I want to kind of invite them back in? You know? And you know, it's crazy. Most of them showed up. But you know what was amazing also? The grace I could have for them that I would never expected to have. The peace I had because I knew it was God's will. There was some reconciliation that could never have taken place. See, God's sovereign plans are guided by love. He, he wants his purposes to be accomplished. We often don't want them because we want our own thing. We don't want his. So you might ask yourself, so what? How far does this love go? And I, I, I'll close with this story in 2 Chronicles. I, I think God's love is just so amazing and so encouraging, his mercy. It says this in, in 2 Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had dispossessed before the sons of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down, and also erected altars of the Baals, and made ashen, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. And served them. And he built altars in the houses of the Lord, which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Binan. He preached, he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, dealt with medium spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. You, say, you could just stop right there and say, Let's just get rid of this guy. These are some of the most terrible things you could ever do. Unbelievable. Then he put carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from this land which I have appointed for your fathers, if only they will observe to do all the, that I have commanded them according to all the law, the statutes, the ordinance given through Moses. 
that Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the sons of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't even pay attention. You're like, okay, now it's time for judgment. Isn't that what we want? If we see it, when we see things going around the world, isn't there times we just want to get rid of it? We want to deal with it? Praise God, he doesn't. Listen to it. It says, Therefore the Lord brought commanders of the army, the king of Assyria, against them, and captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze chains and took him to Babylon. And when he was in his distress, he entreated the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and he prayed to him, and he, God, was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Isn't that an amazing story? The mercy of God. And I was thinking about this this week, and I don't know how it is for you, but there's just sometimes I wonder how God continues to show grace and mercy to people like me. You know, I mean, we can all be such hypocrites. We can talk all we want, we can preach this stuff, but we don't live it. A lot of times we don't, do we? Aren't you glad that God has mercy during those times? Aren't you glad he doesn't just say, okay, it's time? Which we would want to do. It really gives me so much hope that we have this God who's got this profound plan and by his mercy and love, we get to be part of it. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to trust you more. Help us not to be so consumed with our own little lives that we forget there's so many who need Jesus. And we are so grateful that you are a God who's not, who is slow to your promises, that you take time and you're patient. Lord, we just pray that you'd bring many into your kingdom in these days and you'd use us sovereignly to touch people's lives. Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, just move us, direct us to those people who are desperate, struggling, hurting. Like we wouldn't forget that what we do today matters forever. Because if we do it by faith, you will honor it. And we're so grateful, Lord Jesus, that you have chosen to die for us, that we might live and have lives that matter. God, we just ask you to help us. Help us to trust you to be the sovereign God you are.
it is to be children of God where we can really trust in what he says know that he's sovereign God thank you that um we are your children first. We have so many roles that we fill in this life and some of them can be important and demanding. But thank you that at the center of all of that, we can come back and be children and be weak and dependent and trusting and, and take delight in who you are 
and not have to come to you with everything put together, with everything sorted out, that we can come to you as we are. And some days that may be better than other days as far as how we feel about it, but thank you for our identity as your children, that we are yours first and foremost before all of the other gifts and all of the other roles that we fill, Lord.
All right, I just want to close with this chorus from a different song, but. Bless the Lord. Oh, hang on, it's working. <laughs> Here we go. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. forward this week knowing that our God is sovereign and in control and very loving. <laughs> Have a great day guys.